Welcome to the Ali Maz Show, where we focus on human being and spiritual living with a deep inclination for the divine. Together, we delve into the seen and the unseen. We explore what it means to be well and whole from the inside out. Over the last 17 years, I've been focused on how movement, breath, and the power of the mind can liberate us from the template of our conditioning and carve a path to live a truly authentic life. My hope is that my guests will inspire and expand you to continue to choose the life that is yours. Welcome to the Ali Maz Show. Today's guest is Dr. Stephanie Colantonio. Dr. Colantonio is a board-certified physician and herbalist who integrates conventional medicine, plant medicine, and mindfulness at her holistic reproductive health practice in LA. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Steph. Thank you. Uh, just listening to the introduction of the podcast makes me so excited. It's, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, I know you get all of those things <laughs> uh, on such a deep level. And I'm really, I, when I was dreaming up this podcast, you were a dream guest of mine for so many reasons. One being you are a dear friend to me, like a sister. We speak the same language in, in many ways. Um, you are also my doctor and um, I have never really liked my doctors <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and I just love what you're doing within your practice and how you are supporting in particular young women who, you know, I share that heart as well, the connection to teens and young women, but really all people supporting on not just the conventional medicine route, but the integration of yes, herbs and plant medicine, but also heart and mind and soul. And so I'm curious, it's sort of a big question, but how, <laughs> how did you get started doing this? Because it's not yeah. a traditional doctor path. <laughs> It's such a good question, and thank you for asking it. Um, I could probably tell the story over the course of a day, but I'll try to give the cliff notes. Um, but as you know, I started out my career as a pediatrician in conventional medicine and really struggled during my medical training, during residency, and you know, with my own health and also with what I was doing. And you know, one of the things I would do in residency when I was struggling is look at my personal statements to medical school and to training, and they were both all about the mind-body connection. And I looked at the work I was doing there, and I was like, this is such important work, and I'm so glad that we have people doing this, but but it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm not really getting into that sort of holistic um, piece of, of patient care. And also simultaneously with my own health, I was struggling mostly, I think at the root of it was burnout and just a misalignment with the work that I was doing. And so I started seeking out traditional Chinese medicine for the first time. You know, I grew up in Boston in a very, you know, science-based conventional medicine family. And so the idea of acupuncture and Chinese herbs was something completely new to me. But I started really prioritizing using that modality for my own health and started getting better. I wasn't having to take medications every day anymore to help headaches and things like that. So there were sort of these seeds planted during my training to, to just um, really start to think about focusing more on nature medicine and holistic healing 
around the same time, I really started to get involved with my own therapy, my own sort of deeper healing into those um, those sort of deep and dark childhood <laughs> wounds. Um, and, you know, with that, just sort of slowly was following this thread. And, and, and it makes a lot of sense, too, because if I look back on my childhood, my favorite memories are going to, you know, like Walden Pond with my dad on nature hikes and, you know, hunting for plants and salamanders. So there was always this very rooted nature-based uh, part of me. And when things really started to change course was in um, during the pandemic, like so many of us had um, big transitions or transformations. And at that time, I had left my work in conventional pediatrics. I was actually planning to move to Madrid to be with a then partner and become a, a pediatrician there. Um, sorry if you hear a little bit of funny noise. My my cat is like <laughs> crawling across <laughs> the desk. Um, but so, you know, during the pandemic, I left I left conventional pediatrics, and I had time to really slow down and be still. You know, I spent six weeks in Cape Cod, pretty much by myself, going for walks in nature, and really thinking about you know, what do I want to do and who do I want to serve? Because what I was doing before wasn't it. And one of the things that really came to me was reproductive health. You know, I loved working with the young women in pediatrics who were sort of on their way out of pediatrics and just really focusing on connecting to their bodies, their menstrual cycle, a lot of mental health. And part of that is probably because I went through my own journey of just you know, really bad experiences with contraception, um, bad experiences with abortion as a teenager, and just wanting to offer something different and wanting to offer what I would have wanted at that time. And so that was, again, you know, like these little sparks of like, okay, we're really going to dive into reproductive health. Um, I did end up making it to Madrid. I was there for several months. And, and that's also, you know, I wasn't working and that time away from work was so crucial. Um, it's sort of like the winter that we're in now, you know, like um, planting seeds in the fertile void. That's kind of exactly what it was. It was planting seeds for this practice that I was going to start once I came back to L.A. And, and you know, throughout all of this time, there are always whispers from the plants of like medicina natural, natural medicine, nature medicine, and, and just sort of following that thread and those whispers and, and, you know, really delving into a study of plant medicine and herbalism, of mindfulness. You know, I'd always had a practice, but really learning um, deeper into it. Mm. And so you get back to L.A., and I think this is kind of around the time when we met. And yeah. how do you go from, so you have all of your conventional medical training, you're now starting to really listen to these whispers of what you're feeling. You've taken that winter, that time to, to think of what's next, to dream up the next piece and then you you launch a business, which is sort of like, I don't know how much business education you get in medical school, but I'm assuming none. So now you've kind of gone med school, this whole natural route, and now you're stepping into being an entrepreneur. What does that look like in Los Angeles? Um, what does that look like? 
terrifying. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We don't learn anything about this in medical school. And I'm really grateful that I was connected to a physician named Pamela Weibel, who holds um, these master classes for doctors, nurse practitioners, um, all sorts of folks in the healthcare profession who really want to do something else. They want to, you know, have a job that feels more aligned and the conventional system just isn't doing it for them. So I'm, I'm super grateful that I was connected with her. And I actually started a mastermind group with her um, while I was still in Madrid. So I was l starting to learn about things like, how do I get malpractice insurance when I'm on my own? How do I find a clinic space that works for my budget? And how do I create a low overhead model? And these are all brand new concepts to me of even having to think about these things. So it's definitely a steep learning curve. Um, it was an uncomfortable learning curve, but it, it was pretty remarkable. Once you start just doing it, the things get done and you learn and you evolve and you change. And so that, that group with Dr. Weibel was incredibly helpful for me during that time, that sort of incubation period. And then once I was back and had launched the the practice, you know, still like constantly learning different things and different approaches um, to, to look at the business side. And I'm still learning that now, to be honest. Sure. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And I, I'm obviously not a doctor, but I know what it is to want to serve and help and show up in one way. But then at the end of the day, when your people leave the space and you're like, okay, I got to pay these bills. I got to do all these invoices. You know, there's, there's a lot of work connected to be done um, outside of just the thing that you most want to do and how you want to serve. Yeah. I really appreciate you acknowledging that because, you know, at, at least in this moment, I'm I'm doing all of that stuff on my own. And I think people people sort of forget, especially if you do have your own private practice, um, any kind of healing practice, that like that that is a lot of work and, and it's not always what sort of we were designed to do. And so I, I really appreciate that you're acknowledging that. Yeah, no, and I, I'm, I'm just so like, just honor, like, just deep bow, <laughs> gratitude for the work you do in the world, and an honor, and just like so much respect. And I'm curious, as a woman in business, as a doctor, you know, I, I want to get into this. You know, menstrual menstrual cycles is also a deep passion that we both share and work <laughs> in our different worlds with it, but for you as a woman understanding that you know we have four seasons of a cycle within one moon cycle so given one month we're sort of have maybe a week and a half two weeks if we're lucky to really utilize a bit more of that strategic masculine energy of the cycle and then we go into a little bit more of a time that needs more rest and care mm -hmm. but we live sort of in a world where we you know, society doesn't really honor those cycles. So what does it look like for you as an entrepreneur, as a female mm. entrepreneur, knowing what you know, <laughs> having the wisdom, but still needing to show up for the job? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great question. And part of the way that I'm able to navigate that is because I I am my own boss and I have the privilege of the, the earned, but the earned privilege, but it's still a privilege of um, being able to create my own schedule and to, to create what that looks like. And 
um, as you know, I am very big into cycle tracking and, you know, I, I'm very connected to my own menstrual cycle. I track my body temperatures, I track my cervical mucus. And so I, I, I pretty much know when I'm going to bleed like that day because I see the temperature drop and that's a, a whole other story. <laughs> but I, I know around when I'm going to have my, my inner winter, my menstruation, my moon, and I will look at my calendar and see, are there ways that I can work with this? And sometimes the answer is no. And I could still have a really busy week when I'm bleeding, but I really, and that actually happened this week, I really try to prepare myself for that in a way that I can approach it more gentle. And so make sure that I have the teas by my side when I'm seeing patients and that, you know, all of my supports, my, my personal resources. Um, and then if I am able to arrange my schedule so that I have more downtime for those first couple of days of my bleed, I will try to do that, honestly. Um, and it makes a huge difference. It's, it just is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I agree. And I'd love to talk about herbs because um, I think it was probably a couple of years ago now when I, I came to see you as a patient and um, there was a lot of transition going on in my life. I was definitely in a burnout, uh, sort of teetering in a burnout zone. Um, and you had given me sort of four herbal recommendations specific to my period. Um, and not just that. I mean, I think what's important to know is that when you, when we're so used to going to the doctor and they you know, they'll spend five to 10 minutes and it's like, see you later. Here's the birth control pill. Probably goodbye. Um, you know, you spend about 90 minutes usually like in your private practice and, um, really talking and understanding what the root of these things are and what's really going on. And then you leave and you get this like beautiful email <laughs> PDF of, uh, you know, meditations and journal prompts and herbs. And it's just, it's like the most beautiful holistic approach to care that mm -hmm. I've personally ever experienced. And, um, you know, and I know that most of the listeners of this podcast are people likely with uteruses and that are really interested in these things. I'm curious when it comes to uh, the menstrual cycle, what some of your sort of um, like maybe favorite herbs or favorite practices, some people, I think it's the education is in the consciousness around cycles is really rising and really experiencing that. But there's so many people that are still kind of like, ugh, my period, it's a hassle, who cares? Let's just ignore it and go through. So what are some of um, your kind of go-to plant allies when it comes to menstruation and practices. I know you mentioned yeah. cycle tracking. Um, what are your recommendations there? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the first place to start, especially if someone is feeling like, oh, blah, like hate my period. I love when I bleed. Even if I have some cramps, I'm like, oh, what a juicy good time. <laughs> and, and so part of that stems from putting energy towards my cycle throughout all four phases, all four seasons of it. So I think before we even get into the plants and supplements and things like that is really honoring and noticing what's going on when you're bleeding, what's going on when you're in your follicular phase in your spring, what's going on when you're ovulating, and what's going on before before you bleed, which is another um, time that people tend to hate on that premenstrual phase. But we, you know, when when we start to pay attention to how we're feeling in our bodies, in our hearts, during 
the entire cycle, it tends to make the bleed not feel as dreaded, even if there are cramps. Um, so that's, I think, the first part is really connecting to, to the cycle throughout. And then in terms of herbal appro- approaches to, to the menstrual cycle, it's so variable from person to person. And, and you probably would have suspected I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just such an individual, unique case-by-case situation. So, you know, there are definitely herbs out there that we think of and that have sort of become more popular for the menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And those are often, or, or I should say menstruation rather, and those herbs tend to be our uterine tonics. So herbs that tonify are really supporting healthy muscle contraction. So they're not too relaxed and they're not too tight. So we have a healthy tone. So things like red raspberry leaf, um, hibiscus, those are going to be really beautiful uterine tonics. I love mugwort for this. Mugwort is one of my big plant allies um, for, for bleeding. And so we want to think about uterine tonics, but that being said, from person to person, each each individual is going to have different experiences during their menstrual cycle and may have different needs. So when I'm thinking and approaching about herbs for a particular person, I want to look at you know, what does their menstrual cycle look like as a whole? Are there are they having a lot of premenstrual symptoms? Do they need some um, hormone balancing support with something like motherwort or red clover? And then going into their bleed, let's say they have cramps. Uh, and this sort of goes more into the way like Chinese medicine doctors would approach is looking at what is the quality of the cramps? Are they sharp? Are they dull? Are they throbbing? Does it feel really heavy and congested? Do we need to move more blood? Do we need to get more circulation to the womb? So really looking at all of those factors and also looking at the composition of or um, the constitution of the person. You know, do they show signs of dryness or dampness? Do they show signs that their energy, their spirit is really hot on fire and we need to cool them down? Or are they really cold and we need to warm them up? So looking at all of those things. Um, So I I don't have an exact answer of, you know, which specific plans because it's going to be variable, but we, we, uh, this is the way that I would approach it with someone. Mm, I love that. And I, I think, um, and there's sort of this idea maybe in the medical sort of Western medical system that it's often a little one size fits all specifically for, for young women where it's like, oh, you have acne and you have cramps and you are sexually active. And so like, here's birth control. It's going to solve all of your problems. Um, and maybe it does uh, for some, I'm not sure. It certainly didn't for me um, and sort of knew what those effects were. And um I think a lot of people know this story, but I, I, I struggled with an eating disorder a lot in my early, late teens, early twenties, subsequently lost my period. And so my journey to come to love my period was this long journey of, of actually losing it and wanting it to desperately to come back, understanding this is a sign of health. Um, and it took me years, I would say like a decade to finally get to the point what you said, like, oh, like when I bleed, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) there's something so powerful and profound and 
um, on a spiritual level, to me, it seems as though the veil is thinner and our ability to dream and intuit is so strong. And, um, you know, I feel so sad that, you know, with, with, um, women and, and people who have periods um, that don't feel the same way or haven't had the opportunity to feel the same way about their bodies. And I'm curious, what was the, maybe there wasn't a shift. You always felt this way about your period, but was there a shift for you where you were like, I want to learn to love this part of me? Yeah, definitely. It was not always like this at all. And, you know, when I, I remember when I was in high school, I had very irregular periods because I was an athlete. It was that sort of, um, you know, standard, like, you know, track runner, soccer player, like did all, was always active. And so because of that, my periods were irregular and my pediatrician wanted me on birth control. And I didn't really know anything about it, but instinctively and intuitively, I said, no, I really don't want that. And then when I was 16, I had an unplanned pregnancy and an abortion, and it, it was a pretty a horrible experience and, and traumatic in, in several ways. Um, and afterwards, I was just kind of like, I'll do anything so that that doesn't happen to me again. And I remember going to my pediatrician's office for the follow-up and it was so sweet. You know, we hugged, we cried together. And then it was just sort of like, without even really a conversation about it, here's a prescription for birth control pills. It was sort of like, hand me the prescription. And I don't remember even talking about like side effects or, you know, anything like that. And I took it because I didn't want to get pregnant again. And I took it for probably about five, six years, definitely through college. And after college, I started to notice really awful side effects, just sort of unacceptable. I went to my doctor. They said it, it couldn't be the pill. And I remember thinking, I've, I've done my research and there's, there's, like, there's definitely, these are side effects that are associated with the pill. They said, couldn't be the pill. Um, we can put you on these other medications. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. So I went off the pill, went to a different doctor, got an IUD, and over the next decade went through about three different IUDs that had to come out for various reasons. Um, finally, because I was just in so much excruciating pain each cycle, and um, you know it had been going on for a year. I was having horrible pain, horrible premenstrual symptoms, and just felt so disconnected to my body. This was also happening at a time that I was going through deep spiritual transformation as well and doing a lot of personal work. And so I think they were very much tied together. Um, and because I was struggling so much with these sort of physical symptoms of my menstrual cycle, it, it really pushed me to focus more on like, what can I do about this? And so started focusing more on um, things like cycle syncing and cycle tracking. Um, I think also um, really wanting to use fertility awareness as concept, um, contraception to prevent pregnancy. And so really tracking my cycle that way so that I didn't need to have the IUD anymore. I didn't need to have um, the birth control pill, but I could feel confident that I could prevent pregnancy by tracking my cervical mucus, my body temperature, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I know a lot of our stories sort of mimic one another in that, in that sense. And, and especially, and then even with the IUD stuff, I was like, right, I went through all of that too. Um, 
and it just makes me think of a sort of two things. One is um, there's there's like the shame piece of just being a woman, you know, where we feel like our periods are innately shameful or, you know, uh, getting pregnant, abortion, all of these topics sort of carry with them um, the stigma and um, it's sort of shame. And then I think of grief too. There's a lot that goes on within our bodies that can feel so challenging and painful. We feel misunderstood, not believed, sort of like take this band-aid solution. And, you know, even as a young person, you felt intuitively like, no, this doesn't feel right, but there's not yeah. a lot of directions to go. And I know this is why you are who you are today and do the work that you do, but it's so personal, right? Like, it's this, and I'm sure that the women that come to you and that see you, there are probably, I would think, are a lot of tears. It is an emotional thing to talk about. And and so what does sort of the shame or the grief or just the emotional heaviness of, of being with people in, in the work that you do specific to reproductive support and mm-hmm. health? What, um, just to, to clarify the question, like what, what about the shame and the grief? Because it's definitely yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and how, how do you work with it <laughs> as, mm. as a doctor and as a person that's yeah. supporting, I, I certainly had, didn't have any spaces where doctors were like holding space for me to, yeah. to, to be yeah. with those things. And I'm just curious the role that it plays or the role you play within it. Totally. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. That makes a lot of sense. And yes, there is, there's a lot of grief, a lot of shame. As you know, a part of my practice, I focus on abortion work, so abortion services and post-abortion counseling and and support. Um, but not just in the abortion work, I think with reproductive health in general, you know, whether it's sexual trauma or just feeling ashamed and embarrassed about the, the menstrual cycle. Um some ways to approach it when I'm working with people when, you know, we're one-on-one in front of each other is allowing the emotion to be there is saying like, okay, there's grief here. Let's, let's be with it. What does grief feel like in the body? Like, let's drop into that. Does it feel safe to close our eyes? Do we feel our feet on the ground? Do we feel the support of the earth beneath us? Do we feel like we're in a safe place that we can actually allow the grief or the shame to be here and notice like, okay, wow, I'm really feeling it in my throat. What does it look like? Like, what does it want from me? And that kind of thing. So, so really sort of going into almost like a mindfulness of the body and emotion practices together. And I think being able to do it with someone else there also creates this safe space that if the emotion does start to feel too overwhelming, we can resource together and, you know, take a break and sort of, you know, direct to another way. So I think the the mindfulness practices are incredibly helpful for that. Like that's, that's my tool that I go to as a practitioner to support others. And it comes from my own practice and having used those tools myself for my own grief and shame and anger and sorrow and all of those things. Um, I think the herbs can also be incredibly supportive for all of those things too. You know, I think we talked a little bit more about using herbs for these physical symptoms, but these plant allies, they have ushered me through so much grief with so much love and support and um, you know, 
turning to the plants as well is incredibly helpful. And that might look like making um, recommendations for infusions for someone to make at home or actually sitting together and moving through a guided plant meditation to connect to a plant that might be supportive for whatever's going on. Mm, I love that. I, I, um, I certainly feel that way with herbs and they're like your, your little friends in your kitchen that you can go and, and be with. And, uh, I remember a couple of years ago I was asking like how many, like how much this herb goes into this infusion and you're like, just put it in your hand and close your <laughs> eyes and like be with the plant. And it's just, you know, to me, it feels revolutionary to, to, you know, to work with my body in this way. You know, I was a sick kid. I had a lot of asthma. I was always in and out of the emergency room. And it was always like, you know, I'm just, was just used to going like, here's the drug for the thing Goodbye. Um, so to actually sit with someone, you know, uh, you, but you know, I don't know how many other people, doctors are doing this type of work that you're doing in this way, but to sit and be heard, be listened to, to close your eyes, to breathe, to drink these herbs, to have these recommendations. Like to me, it just feels like the, um, it's so funny. I'm like, it feels like the future, but it also feels like the past. This is like the way the medicine women work. This is the way the shamans work. This is, um, so to sort of bridge these worlds, these two worlds together, because modern medicine has its place. I mean, every now and again, I still need to have like my asthma inhaler with me. I barely take it, but I have it. I have it. I hit you up. I'm like, I need a new prescription. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I I know where the, where it comes in, but I also know there are other places to seek and to look with this. And it, it, and it does feel intuitive. Something I've always known. It's like, it can't just be this one thing. Yeah, I I love that you brought that up, and and thank you for for doing that, um, and especially when you were talking about you know even just sort of dosing the the herbs and how we talked about you know like feel it in your hand and what feels right and and giving you some some basic guidelines, but I think that really speaks to this tradition of herbalism that I was trained in and a shout out to my teacher Marisha Mernaska, who's just the loveliest and. You know, I'm trained in folk herbalism that's rooted in what's called the wise woman tradition of healing. And this is different from the conventional system that's really a scientific method. It's even different from like functional medicine, which kind of has this heroic aspect to it. And in the wise woman tradition, it's all about nourishment and all about acknowledging the body's innate wisdom to heal. And, and in that, there is so much empowerment to the person themselves to be their own healer, to listen to their body and for you to decide, like, actually today, I, you know, Steph told me that, that this would be a good starting place for the amount of red raspberry. But today, like, I think I need double that. Like, I'm really feeling that. And like, for you to have that, that knowing and that intuition and that connection to the plants, to your own body that, that you get to decide, like, like you don't, you don't need me to tell you to do that. Right. It's very much, it's very much a non, non hierarchical way of approaching medicine and healing so that we're partners. Like I'm not the doctor up here and you're the patient and you're like, we're, we're on the same plane. And like, you are your body's greatest healer and you know your body better than anyone else. 
Yeah, it makes me think of this, and it, that's such a paradigm shift, and at least it was for me. And I think um, I really love the work of of Louise Hay, which is she wrote this book called "You Can Heal Your Life," and just how certain symptoms um, are often connected to emotions. And when I started to get into that work, and in Chinese medicine too, traditional Chinese medicine, lungs are about grief, um, and Louise Hay's work. Um, you know, asthma is like inability to breathe on one's own. And I think so much of my life, I felt a victim to my life. Like other people had the power, I didn't. And as I started my spiritual journey and stepped into my own sort of power and ability to breathe, I'm literally a breathwork teacher now, you know, it's so <laughs> it's not funny. It's just, of course, perfect. Um, but I started to see that I really had that agency. I could breathe on my own and the processing of my own grief um, healed a lot. And like I said, still sometimes need my asthma inhaler, no problem, but also look to other herbs that have been so supportive. And so I just think to, to take the power back and, and kind of what you were saying, like I have the ability to heal. I have the ability uh, to um, find empowerment within myself. And so much of that came from just listening all of the mm-hmm. symptoms I had throughout my life were mostly just the product of burnout, trying to be someone that I, I was, other people wanted me to be, trying to achieve mm-hmm. something that wasn't even my path. Of course, my body was getting sick because the body is this beautiful barometer <laughs> of mm-hmm. truth saying like, no, <laughs> listen, yeah. no. And if you're not going to listen, here we go. And so I'm going to tell um, you, <laughs> I'm going to keep telling you. And I used to feel like it was my body betraying me. You're betraying me. You're not doing the thing I want you to do. And now I see it as my body is helping me, showing me, being the guiding light. Um, And I think that switch, uh, even for you as a doctor, you know, I think a lot of doctors is like, okay, what's wrong? Treat the thing. But you're saying, no, like, let's look at the holistic picture of a human, all aspects, and then empower you to do the healing as you sort of yeah. gently guide and offer. It's so revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, be- beautifully said. <laughs> Couldn't say it better. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, um, some of your, uh, practices, I, I, I know, I, and I'd love to hear it in your own words. I know nature is, you know, yeah. is your place, is your teacher, is the source for you. Um, having beautiful baths and walks and you have your cat. So I'm curious, like what are the things that nourish and fulfill you because you are giving so much to so many? I heard up until nature is the source for you. Yes. So nature, what are the ways you take care of yourself? I know nature, mm-hmm. baths, you've got your cats, you've got, you know, the things that <laughs> nourish you because you give so much to the world. So just curious about your self-care practices. Yeah, thank you. I, I just like you said, nature is is my source. And, you know, I, I live... Um, down here in Venice. And I really make it a priority to get up to the mountains, to Topanga, um, to to be in nature and hike once a week if I can. And some weeks it doesn't happen, but I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty on it because that restores me. It builds my energy up again. I can literally feel it in my bones when I come home from a hike it has also, you know, these places in nature around us have have held me 
through so much in these last few years, you know, coming back after the pandemic through heartache, through the trials and tribulations of starting a business that those places in nature have, have truly held me. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for it and grateful to live where I do so that it's accessible and to, again, have, have, um, a, a schedule that allows me to have the flexibility to make sure that I get up there once a week. So definitely nature, um, the work with the plants, you know, it, it's amazing. Like I might be in a funk doing work from home and I'll, and I'll be like really in it and feel really stuck. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go and, and make some plant medicine. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go make a tincture or I'm going to go make some, some oil. Or I might pause and go and, and sit and make a cup of tea and do a meditation to connect with the plant of that, that tea. Um, so the work with the plants, um, again, incredibly grateful to, to Marisha for teaching this way of connecting to the plants and their spirits. Um, and also the, the plant work through things like vaginal or yoni steams is incredibly um, helpful and healing to me. I'll make infusions to bathe with in the bathtub with candles. And, and it really is, you know, like the water, um, it's just such a safe, you know, womb-like space for us and really helps us move emotion, relaxes the body. So, so bathing is a really important part of my um, care practice. I feel like we've sort of lost the art of bathing um, in in this culture, which I've been really reflecting on a lot. One of my favorite places to go is the Korean spa um, because Me it too. is it just <laughs> so healing. Um, you mentioned my cats, <laughs> sweet little guys. You're know, spending time with them, um, and then also I, th- I think part of it is that that nourishment aspect. I think over the last several years, I've really found pleasure and um and this just like yummy feeling from from cooking and preparing food for myself and nourishing myself that um you know I'd never been like a big cooker before but I really enjoy the practice of of creating a meal yeah it speaks to this really sort of slow feminine deep uh taking time. And when you were talking about bathing, I mean, I love my baths too. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, we both live in LA and it's like the, um, the ice bath kind of like capital of the world right now. And thinking of how, um, this, like everyone's getting an ice baths and it's this like fast, quick hit, adrenaline thing. And I'm like, yeah. And I do, I do love an ice bath, but it's to me feels more sort of innately masculine and productive and feel the, the rush of adrenaline. So you can be more focused at work. And I'm just like, or that's beautiful. And I, I definitely understand the benefits, but the slowness of like a hot bath and taking your time and feeling your feelings and, you know, it's just, it's feels sort of more innately feminine. (laughs) And intuitive um, to do that. And 100%. And I think also what you're speaking, like this sort of looking at those two things side by side, what, what it really speaks to is that need for balance, you know, the yin and the yang, the masculine and feminine, like 
it's not like one's good and one's bad. We need both in different timings, but, but, you know, it's just sort of noticing if you tend to always go towards that masculine adrenaline rushing, like get in the ice bath kind of thing, maybe it's time to, to, you know, start to gently move the other direction and also get some of that warm, slow, juicy, juicy practice in too, and vice versa, you know? Totally. Yeah. And we're all, and like you said earlier, we are all different. We all need different things. And I think, um, the we're in winter right now. And when this podcast comes out, it will likely still be winter, but Steph and I are speaking on right now, the winter solstice, which is such a beautiful, deep, auspicious time and, and really, um, winter, not, you know, it's raining in LA right now. It's actually pouring right now in LA. Um, but even in LA, we get the season, you know, even in, I was in Panama for a month and it felt like fall there. It was, it was fall. So even in these places where the sun shines, the, the, um, you know, nature is still showing us seasons. And so there's the physical seasons, but then we have the internal seasons, obviously, of of our cycles. And then we have kind of the seasons of, you know, maiden mother mega crone too within our own age, our own aging process. Um, and then sometimes we're just in a in a winter, regardless of of the season. And I just love this metaphor. And nature teaches us so much um about how to how to respond to life. And I'm curious right now, as we are in winter, winter is about sort of the death um, in the, in the, as you said, sowing the seeds in this sort of fertile earth. I'm curious what, what you're letting go of right now, or what sort of ending or, or dying within your own life or your own spiritual practice. What is winter mm. representing to you? I love that question. And I also, you know, before I fully answered, I, I want to mention, um, you know, you spoke about we can we can be in a season of our life that's sort of outside of that season of the year. And I think, you know, from from 2020, the pandemic up until probably last spring, I was in a deep winter. <laughs> like it was, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening <laughs> and, and it was so palpable sort of the end of this spring I could sort of start to feel myself you know like when the little like like tulip bulbs are starting to come out of frosted snow like there's still frost on the on the soil but the the little bulbs are starting to come out in the the beginning of spring and I could feel that in myself it was sort of like all of this sort of deep personal work that I've been doing it's, it's moving into it. It's still going to be going on, but it's moving into a different direction. It's moving into this spring. So that feels really salient for me right now that what you mentioned about that. Um, and I think one of the things I, I actually wrote about this recently after an experience that I had in, in Mexico city for this training that I, I got really sick, like, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, just sort of like the whole works. I haven't been that sick. I can't remember the last time I was that sick. And I remember, and I kind of like laughed to myself about this, but I remember just like laying on the bathroom floor with my head over the toilet. <laughs> Sorry if this is TMI. Um, and just thinking like, okay, yeah, like I'm throwing up right now, but like, what am I actually purging right now? Like, what am I actually letting go of? You know, to speak to your question. And one of the things, there were a few things, but one of the things that really came through strongly for me was this sense of 
like duality or binary uh, and myself as a practitioner, as a health medical and healing practitioner, that I have to be one way or the other. I think when I started this practice, I felt really nervous for like my colleagues from conventional medicine to see what I was doing because I was like, well, how are they going to judge me? What are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm crazy? And that was something I really had to work through. And I feel like I am in this place now. And this is what came to me when I was head over the toilet is like, like it actually doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, like I am so rooted and grounded in the traditions that I have trained in and in the traditions that I practice with the people that I work with. And I have such a, a faith and belief in in the way that I'm working now that it doesn't matter. And like, yes, sometimes I am going to prescribe antibiotics and other times we're going to talk about antimicrobial plants that can support someone. And, and it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and they can support each other beautifully. I love that. And I was just having this vision of like, you know, your colleagues that, you know, who who knows how they think, but they probably all need you (laughs) at the end of the day. You know, I, a a lot of my yoga retreats are filled with, with women actually in the medical industry, nurses, doctors, and you know, they, they need, they need Dr. Steph. (laughs) They need their herbs. Um, I love that. And I, we all need, um, that's so beautiful. And I, I, you know, I, anyone who's like maybe had food poisoning or been sick like that, you know, that is the ultimate purge. And I love when you sort of bring the, the emotional aspect to it or the spiritual aspect to it. Cause again, the body is speaking to us in so many different ways and the release or the, the letting go of, of what's here. And, and, um, that's a, it's a part of the spiritual path is when we release these, these dualities, let me get rid of good, bad, right, wrong, should, shouldn't. And we just step in to just a field of possibility. And, um, but it's brave. It's a brave and courageous act to do so because you are breaking out of the template of the conditioning of, you know, the Western medical world and also just how we are conditioned as, as, um, just people in general in the society, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And so, um, I would just assume that there had to be a lot of bravery um, stepping onto this path. And then even looking at the work you do in reproductive health and abortion access and care um, specifically at this time, um, you know, it's, these are, these are big, big things that you're tackling. And I'm curious if you, have you had any backlash in the work that you're doing in particular in, in abortion care? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, uh, definitely sort of people who will make comments or send direct messages on Instagram, um, who are very much against abortion. And, and I'm actually like, I have a lot of compassion. Um, I, 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 I try to find a lot of compassion for, for people that feel those ways about it because I can see like like they in their heart in their belief system they believe that this is uh, like I'm doing something really wrong and they're they're trying to do something to support their belief system um so I have a lot of it's a sort of (laughs) complex thing I have a lot of compassion and sometimes it makes me angry and it makes me upset like I don't deserve this kind of treatment um but I also see like okay like you know like they're they have their own thing with that. And, and, you know, um, I have 
such a deep conviction in the importance of abortion access for the sovereignty of all of us with uteruses. And so even if you never need to have an abortion, just the fact that you have it avail- available to you if you need it is so important. And and I think that sovereignty, you know, in our reproductive health it also plays into our society and in, you know, the patriarchy and the way that women are treated um, in the patriarchy. And so I think part of um, finding balance in the, in the, 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 the society that we live in is bringing more feminine energy into it. It's not saying that the patriarchy is bad and that a matriarchy would be better. It's just saying we, we need a balance of both. And I think a part of that is having freedom and sovereignty and, Abortion is part of the sovereignty. Um, Agre- I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, you did. And I'm curious as a follow-up question of, you know, um, the, so, and it's, it's so beautiful, like the compassion for people that, you know, don't understand and want to uphold, you know, whatever their belief system is. And then also sort of the, uh, to me, sometimes even in the, when you're saying that, I was like, there's like this sacred rage <laughs> that bubbles up oh. in, in me. And I know that you are the holder of, and keeper of many stories. Uh, and so am I, you know, we, we sort of hold and keep the stories of women and, and young people that have been abused and assaulted and, and raped and, you know, had to, and I'm sure you've seen so much in, in the work that you've done too. Um, but sometimes for me, it's like, it's all too much, you know, and it, it's mm-hmm. like this, this sacred rage and it's not even mine. It just sort of feels like this ancestral, um, collective universal energy. Sometimes my husband gets the brunt of it where I'm just like, how dare you be a man near me? (laughs) Get away. (laughs) I've worked through a lot of that, but there is just this thing that sort of bubbles up. And I'm curious if you relate to that or B have any practices of how you move with that, that rage. Thank you for bringing that up. It speaks to my experience so much. Um, You know, there were times when I still had my IUD that I would be laying on the couch, curled up in a ball, feeling so much excruciating pain and having this knowing this is not my pain. it's, Mm. it's, It's ancestral. It's collective. It's not mine, but I'm holding it right now. And, and being really gentle and loving to my own body to to let it flow out of me um, is part of it. Uh, it comes up a lot in ceremonial spaces and with plant medicine, with psychedelic medicine. There's such this thread for me and my experience in the spaces of collective grief. You know, recently I had had one where where, where the message just kept saying like like the mothers need more. And, and by mother, it, it felt like women, like we need more, <laughs> we need more support. We need more, we need more voice. We need more of a, a seat at the table. Um, so that comes up for me in those spaces, which is also healing because it allows it to flow. And, and then, you know, I, I have a therapist who I work with on this stuff too. Like I have that support. I seek out support, um, we are not meant to do this work alone and it's a lot to carry. And so having safe spaces and containers where, where it can be shared and just like, like you can see in my body, I'm just had like a big sigh and my shoulders went down. It's just like, like let it out. Totally. <laughs> um, and finding community 
<laughs> yeah, totally. And that it's so why I cherish our friendship. And like I said earlier, like this sort of speaking of the same language. And I similarly, like in the medicine or the plant medicine space, ceremonial space, for me, it's like always something around, you know, a birthing or a <laughs> leading or a releasing and a freeing really of, of, of women. And, um, and I feel that sometimes too, like if I come back from a, a big retreat holding a lot of space for women or teens, and then my next my next bleed is usually a heavier bleed, a more painful bleed, and my body is like processing and moving it through, and so creating a lot of space and nourishment and time, even though it's pain physically is painful it feels yeah. like my body is sort of doing that work and it's the mm-hmm. internal ceremony. Often the, the period is like this internal ceremony of, of release and, and shedding on many yeah. levels and, um, and, and being in nature, dance, breath work, like oh, screaming, yeah. stomping my feet, you know, having those spaces to oh, get really messy dear. too. Right. Yeah. The other day yeah. I was working with someone, we were, we were on a video call and there was so much there for her. And so we both got up together in the call and we just started shaking it out for like five minutes and like screaming and grunting and just, and, and we both felt better, so much better afterwards. Yeah. The primal, that, that sort of primalness of using our voice and our bodies. And I think, um, you know, when we've been conditioned to be good little girls and smile and, you know, be quiet, et cetera, there's so much bubbling within us and then compounded by, um, not being believed or, you know, having, um, you know, uh, a lot of our innocence taken from us, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. There is so much collective universal and, and ancestral pain and, um, you know, women like yourself and, and the work that, you know, certainly that we're up to is about breaking a lot of those sort of generational things, getting louder, like yeah. giving women more, giving ourselves more, um, changing it. And I really do. It makes a difference. I always say when I sit in circles with women and girls, like we're changing the world by Mm -hmm. letting our voices be heard and letting our pain be witnessed and sort of uncovering our own shame and having these conversations are certainly, um, is a form of medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I love what you said about the sort of primal, those primal acts. And one of my teachers in, a psychedelic therapy space, she says, you know, she, she tells us don't reinvent healing. Like we know what heals dancing together, singing together, drumming together, playing music together, being in community. Like, like we don't need to reinvent healing people. Like we, we have these primal um, sort of instinctual ways that, that, that really support us through. I love that. Yeah, it's it's so true. Even though we're the wellness industry is always trying to like reinvent something and sell it sell it back to us, but it really is so simple. I get asked all the time, especially with Girlvana, it's like, what, "What did you do?" Parents will be like, "But what happens?" I'm like, "We go into nature for a week. <laughs> the girls are off their phones. They're in the sunlight. They're swimming in the ocean. We're dancing. We're laughing. We're crying. We're journaling. We're moving. We're breathing. We're witnessing yeah. our stories. That's it. This this." <laughs> That's the formula, but that should be everyone's formula. Sunlight, nature, (laughs) nourishment, community. Totally. Yeah. But we forget, even myself, you know, off a couple days where I'm in a funk and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm like, oh, I just like 
haven't moved enough or haven't been outside. And, you know, it's, it's so simple and, and, but it takes commitment, right? My teacher always says discipline begets joy. And just this idea of being disciplined and showing up to these things, given the day, the season that you're in, what the body needs, because it's always so different. Um, this is a, a question that I, I ask all guests and it's sort of a, you know, undescribable, ineffable sort of thing, but I'm curious in your own words of what is divine? What is the, what is divinity or God or source to you? Like how, how do you put words to, to that? Mm. That's a beautiful question. And, and it's one that I think initially it's hard to put into words because for for me, the divine or spirit, it, it's such a felt sense. It's like that sense of knowing, that sense of remembering. And I find that I access it most easily when working with the plants, when in nature, when connecting to the elements, it's like all that is all around us. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the breeze, it's the running water. It's like that rock just sitting right in front of you, like doing its thing. It's that, that sort of in in that, um, felt sense that you get from seeing it and also sometimes feeling seen by it. Um, Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that, that definition. It's my favorite question to ask people because it's sort of, um, the words may be different, but I love the idea of felt sense. You feel it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You feel it. So I know we're, we're wrapping up. I I could talk to you all day long. It's so nice to just be with you. And, um, how, how can people find out more about your work or if they're local to LA and looking for an amazing doctor herbalist, you know? person like you where can we find you yeah so I have a website that is www.callantoniomd.com so it's my last name md.com and I work with people in different um, sort of settings so for some people we have um, um, sort of like a doctor patient relationship where we focus on the medical side of things there's some people that um, I work with as a mentor, and that can be around plant work, fertility awareness, things like that. And then there's some some people that we marry the two. We do mentorship work and the, the clinical work together. Um, so the website is a great place to start. Um, on Instagram, I'm at callantoniomd as well. And just, you know, shooting me an email is, is a great way, giving me a call to, to see if it would um, if it would be a good fit. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Steph, for, for the work you do in this world. And you're such a bright light and I just, yeah, deep bow to your, your, your creativity and what it, what it takes to sort of carve a path in this way. And, and you're such a model of, of what it means to really listen to one's intuition and and show up for the big work. And, um, you know, it's exactly what you're supposed to be doing in this lifetime. It feels so clear to me and just love you so much. And thank you for sharing your heart with us all today. Thank you, Ali. It's such a joy. And, And I feel like even from that first, um, coffee date that we had in Venice. It was just like, okay, we get each other. And I feel like um, 
the work that both of us do is so aligned and so complementary, and and so I love seeing what you're doing, um, and and grateful that you exist and that you are doing it. <laughs> um, and it, it's just been such a joy to to know you, and um, so much love for you. Thank you. 